Amen. Amen. You know, I think that one of the most common misunderstandings in churches today is that they believe that numerical growth uh, somehow, some way is, is automatically connected or ultimately determines the spiritual health of a church. Say it another way, uh, uh, when, when people see a church really growing and, and they're really just busting the seams and, and people are joining constantly and, and they just grow into this huge church that the natural intention is to, pe- to think that that church is somehow more healthy than maybe the small church around the corner that is much smaller and, and doesn't seem to be uh, growing very quickly at all. Uh, I think this is common. In fact, I think you hear it every once in a while in a phrase that is often used, sometimes in reference to those churches that are blowing up in those ways. You'll hear someone say, hey, uh, listen, I don't know what they're preaching. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know how they're doing it, but they must be doing something right because look at all the what? Look at all the people that go there. Uh, it, It must be healthy. The problem with this is it's just simply not true. Uh, the truth is the careful study of the Word of God teaches that, that really numerical growth or extensive numerical growth really isn't necessarily an indication of whether a church is healthy or not. You know that there are some really churches that are growing in an incredible way. Some of them are very healthy. Some of them are very unhealthy. There are some very small churches that, that, that are very healthy and some of them that are very unhealthy. Uh, size really doesn't determine or how quickly they're growing doesn't ultimately determine whether it's a healthy church or not. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Uh, you might be that one of the fastest growing or the fastest growing religion in the world is Islam. I mean, it, they, it is spreading everywhere, places that you would never think. Uh, uh, there are mosques that are growing up and being built in places that you would think, no way, man, this is, this is the South. What in the world? I, I just drove down the road and saw a mosque being built there. Soon, they'll be coming to Nassau County as well. So it's really fast growing. But I doubt if any of us would really sit back and go, well, you know what? I don't really agree with everything that they teach, but they must be doing something right, right? None of us would feel comfortable with making a statement like that. Now, let me make a careful uh, uh, statement, and that is that, uh, that numerical growth is important to us. It, it doesn't mean that, that numerical growth has no significance or has no importance whatsoever. In fact, it does, and apparently to God it does, because when Luke begins to write the book of Acts, he's very careful, being moved by the Holy Spirit, to write about the numbers and exactly how the church was radically growing over a very short period of time. So apparently... Uh, numerical growth is important to God, and it ought to be important to us. So I want to make sure and clear that it is important to us. We want to see growth. Why? Why? So that we can pat ourselves on the back, and so people in the community were like, oh, man, I heard your church is something else. Yeah, well, it is because we're something else. No, that's not the desire at all. The desire is that we're growing primarily through what? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached, being shared, and people who never knew Christ come and respond in faith to him, repent of their sin, place their faith in him. And then we begin to teach them very carefully all that God has commanded so that they become faithful followers of Jesus Christ. That's the type of growth that we're interested in. Amen? Okay. Amen? All right, just trying to make sure that we're all uh, on the same page. So we believe that, that growth is important. Now, numerical growth is a challenge for us here, uh, mainly because of space. Now, it's summer. We've got some spots open. But in the spring and the fall, you know that it could get rather, you know, um, you know, 
tense. I mean, you know, you got people, if you want to sit by yourself, there's, there's no doing that. Uh, and we're crowded everywhere, in the parking, in the nursery, uh, in the children, in the youth. There's just not a whole lot of space there. I mean, you know that space is, is an issue when there's standing room only in, in the nursery, right? Uh, when little babies who lay down, you're like, no, I'm sorry, you got to stand up through the rest of this. There's just no room for you to be laying down, all right? So, so, so we have that space issue, but just because it's a challenge for us, just because it's a challenge doesn't mean we don't keep doing it. Doesn't mean that we keep wanting to. In fact, because it's kind of hard to grow unless God does something about kind of the, 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 the size of this building, is, is that's why we're church planting. Is because we know we want to see church growth. This is why we're sending out David. It's why we're sending out Tiffany. It's why we're sending out some of you as a core group to go and to be a part of a church that propagates the gospel, that sees people come to faith in Christ and to be able to disciple them. So it's, it's very, very important to all of us, numerical growth. But as important as it is, what might be equally, if not even more important, is spiritual growth and spiritual health of a church. We don't want people just to come. We want people to become faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We want them to drive deep into the word of God, to know and to submit to it fully and completely. We want, well, it, you've, or you've heard the phrase in, in reference sometimes to a church here or there, maybe to our church, I don't know, that, hey, they're, they're a mile wide, but they're only an inch deep, indicating that, that there's a lot of people there, but there's not a whole lot going on spiritually. Let me, let me suggest something. I hope that those words never come out of our mouth about another church. I'm all about if there's a church that's propagating heresy and a false gospel to be able to call that out from the pulpit, but a church that's propagating the gospel, we don't know what they're doing or how deep they are. In fact, it's not really what we're supposed to be focused on. What we're supposed to in this particular case is to be centrally focused and to see how are we doing numerically in our growth and how are we doing as far as being, health, uh, being a healthy church that's growing in our knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and living that out. Would, would you agree with that? That, that, that's, that's what we need to be focusing on. It's what is in ultimately important uh, to us. So we don't want to be a, 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 a mile wide and an inch deep. We want to be a mile wide and in, in, in two miles deep into this. We want to have solid believers. We, we also want to plant churches. We, you saw this morning with India that we're planting churches there. In Oman, we should be planting churches there within the next couple of years. And, and as well, even, even our wildlife church that we're planting out at the interstate. I, I, I know David, and David has no desire to plant a church where they're not reaching people with the gospel and, 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 and also seeing them come to faith in Jesus Christ and to grow as believers. Now, the question is, how do you do that? See, that's the really big question because some people seem to have a real knack of growing churches and some churches are, 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 have a hard time of, of seeing churches grow in numerically, uh, but at the same time, people have a hard time both growing and for that church to remain healthy. How do we do that? If only we had some instructions from the word of God. If only we had a book that would just teach us exactly how we're supposed to go about doing that. Oh, yeah, we do. It's the book of 1 Timothy. In fact, the book was written, and I'm going to go into the background in just a minute. It was written for that very purpose. There was a challenge for Paul and for Timothy and for the people at Ephesus that they were growing numerically, but there was a real concern in all of that growth. How do we make sure that we remain healthy and grow spiritually? So what I want to do this morning is I want to jump in and give you a little bit more background. I know some of you, that's a little bit difficult to get through. I'll try to make it as painless as possible. But I want it so that we understand exactly what it is that we're reading as we continue our study. So I want to begin in verse 1, really with the author. We see the author there. Look at verse 1, if you will. 
The Bible says Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. I, I don't think that Paul needs much of an introduction to many of you. I think the majority of folks are quite familiar with him. I'll just say a few things. One is before he came to faith in Christ, he was a Pharisee and a pretty instrumental, powerful, uh, high-ranking uh, uh, religious official and Pharisee at the time. And he had a great zeal for the law of God. In fact, so great that in the beginning of the birth of the church, he becomes one of the primary persecutors of believers when they first come to faith in Christ. We find him through the book of Acts. We find him breathing threats against the church. He's, he's taking people just because they profess Christ, he's throwing them into prison, and he's putting them to death. In fact, one of the first times we see him is at the stoning of Stephen, the death of the very first uh, uh, Christian, the, the very first Christian martyr. And even though he doesn't pick up a stone, we know he's involved because everybody that's throwing the stones are laying their cloaks down at his feet, showing that it's by his authority that this is ultimately being done. And so this man is completely lost, and, and all of this changes when, on the road to Damascus, on his way to be able to go and persecute even more believers, what happens? He comes face to face with Jesus Christ. And how many of you know coming face to face with Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world? Yes? You can come to church, you can, you can try to pray, you can listen to sermons, you can do everything else, but until you come to the fact that you come face to face in a real life relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing changes. But you come face to face with him, everything changes, amen? So he does, he comes, and, and, and he changes, and, and, and Jesus comes, and he saves him. And not only does he save him, but he also calls him and sets him apart as a, as, as, as a, as a leader of the church, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say apostle, let me try to be clear, because it's a little confusing. You hear a lot of people using the term apostle today. Well, that's John, John. He's the apostle of the seventh day, whatever. And you're like, okay, what is this apostle thing? When I use the word apostle, I'm using it in, in the strictest way possible, the narrowest way possible. I'm speaking about the original apostles that Jesus, his 12 disciples, that he set apart and he chose them, he hand chose them, he sent them out. Those were apostles. They had a special level of authority in the church during the apostolic age. Well, when Paul says that he was chosen by Christ to be an apostle, he is putting himself at the same level of all of those men. He's saying, I have the same authority, I have the same calling on my life as those other 12 apostles. And so he's got great authority, but this is something that he just chose for himself. He didn't say, well, I think I'm going to be, uh, I'm just going to call myself an apostle. It's not authority that he gave himself. It's not authority that the church ultimately gave him. Instead, we find out that it was Jesus Christ himself who chose, called, appointed, equipped, and authorized him directly from Jesus Christ to be an apostle. We see that in the next phrase when he says, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Okay, so he says the command came, the command for him to reach the Gentiles and take the gospel to the Gentiles nations. That apostleship was given to him, that command was given to him by God and by Christ. Now, not to, not to bore you with this, but it's interesting in his phraseology when he says the command of God, our Savior, that's unique for Paul. Because what Paul normally does is, is he usually reserves that name Savior for Jesus Christ. But what we do is we see a little bit of his Old Testament theology kind of coming in where really salvation begins with God himself. 
that he is the author and finisher of our faith. And I think that's what's in mind here when he says, when he says here that it was a command of God, our Savior. What he's saying is when you, you, our salvation started many, many years ago, before you and I were even a twinkle in our mama's eyes, God called us before the foundations of the earth. And he determined the plan to redeem us and to save us through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. But then he says also to the end, the end is the completion of our salvation with Jesus Christ. So he's looking to the end. Even though we are saved and we are being saved, the fulfillment of our salvation, of all that God said that he would do for us, the fulfillment of our salvation will be accomplished one day. When? When Jesus Christ returns. Now, I don't know what gets you excited about the return of Jesus Christ. I don't know if it's because you don't have to pay taxes anymore or, or, or you, know, you have to put gas in your car or, or you don't have bursitis anymore. I don't know what excites you, but let me tell you what excites the heart of a believer in Jesus Christ is that we get to be with Jesus, that he's our hope. And he's the one who's coming. And that's who we want to spend eternity with. Who gets, forget about the bursitis. I get to be with Jesus, right? And so that's, that's the key. That's what gravitates our heart. And it was this God in this Jesus, and he's putting them on the same uh, place of position as both God. He says, they were the one that commanded me to go and take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. So every time we see him, perhaps, for example, in the book of Acts, what is he doing? Doing the very thing that he was commanded to do. He's taking the gospel to uh, all those that, 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 that are, are, are Gentiles. And he's going from place to place, places where the gospel had never been. So now what I want to do is I want to take you back even further from when this letter was written, five years before this letter was ever written. And I want to take you to the book of Acts, chapter 19. Open up to Acts 19, if you will. This is going to give us a little bit more background to something that I had alluded to a couple moments ago. And you're going to actually see it right there in the text. You need to see it. So we find ourselves in Acts chapter 19. Let me, let me catch you up, then we're going to look at verse 8. But here's what happens. Paul is doing what Paul does. He goes to a continent, and he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in, in, in verse 8. It says that he spoke boldly, reasoning, and persuading them about the kingdom of God. This was Paul's MO. He would go to a place where the gospel had never preached. He would come to the city on the first Sabbath day. He would go into the synagogue, and he would begin to preach the gospel. And he would preach it powerfully and boldly. And guess what happens when somebody preaches the gospel powerfully and boldly? People begin to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we see all these people beginning to come to faith there in the city of Ephesus. All these believers, the birth of the church. And then notice what happens in verse 9. This continues until trouble in verse 9. He says, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. The name way there is, is the terminology. That was the name that people gave to believers in the very first century. I love that. They were according to the way. And he withdrew from them, and he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. I don't know if you caught that, but let me rewind just for a minute and tell you exactly what happened there. Paul is, is, is sharing the gospel, then he shut down. People are like, we don't want you around here, get out of here. So he decides instead of going wide, he's going to go deep. So he gets these new believers that have been sharing the gospel, and he disciples them like crazy. And he's pouring the word of God into him. He says for two years, he didn't cease. He just keeps preaching and teaching the word of God to them. They get it. 
These, this group of people get it. How do we know? Because they understand the Great Commission. They take what they're being taught, and they begin to share the gospel to those who are around them. And the scriptures say this one church reaches the entire continent of Asia. This one group of people shares the gospel so that, notice what it says, that all the residents of Asia heard the word of God, both Jews and Greeks. That is doing some propagating of the gospel. Would you, would you agree? Look, I don't even know if our own church has, has propagated the gospel in one full, uh, uh, one full little community within Yuli. These guys have professed and prop, uh, propagated the gospel so there was not one person, he says, in the Asia that did not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. And what happens when the gospel of Jesus Christ is being propagated? People come to faith in Jesus Christ. Did you know it's the only way to, for a church to grow authentically is through the propagation of, the G, of Jesus Christ? There's no way for the real church to be able to grow apart from, from the clear preaching, teaching, living out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So they are giving it, they're sharing it, and so we see this incredible amount of numerical growth. That is what Paul is about. It's important to him. He wants to see the kingdom of God expand, but it's not the only thing he's, he's concerned for. We look at now chapter 20. Look at chapter 20 and verse 29. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He's panicked. He knows this. We don't know how he knows it, but, but he knows that as soon as he leaves, that these wolves, which are false teachers, are going to come and attack them within the church. Not physically, but they're going to attack them with false teaching to confuse them, to draw them away from what the truth of the word of God is that was delivered once and for all to the saints and so they're going to get in there, and not only are they going to be attacked from those coming from the outside, but they're going to be attacked from those coming up from the inside, and the way they're going to seek to weaken the church is, guess how? Through false teaching, for a lack of truth, to taking the truth, and he says that they're in twisting of the truth, and that is the way that ultimately a church, look, it's not the growth, it's not seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. People make that mistake too. All of a sudden, a church begins to grow, and they're like, oh no, I'm worried about and concerned about that we're, that, that, that we're going to become a weak church because of all these coming, people coming to faith in Christ. People coming to faith in Christ doesn't weaken a church. That strengthens a church. But what weakens a church is when that church is no longer holding to truth. No longer preaching truth, holding truth, sharing truth, giving truth, expounding truth, that parents are no longer teaching it to their kids, that we're not teaching it to a younger generation. That's when weakness begins to set in to a church is what weakens it. Now, with this idea, let me, let me just say two quick things, if it will. I believe that there are two problems that threaten to weaken the church more than anything else, and both of them deal with this, this doctrine of sound doctrine, this idea of sound doctrine. That is... When we preach sound doctrine, teach it, and submit to it, we're strong. When we don't teach it, when we teach false teaching, when there are things that are not completely correct, and we begin to sow that, or we fail to teach what is true, that is when a church becomes immensely weak. And I think this is demonstrated in two ways. And, and it really, in those two ways, is through apathy and ignorance. Now, let me explain this for a minute. There's a struggle, and this is always a challenge for people in the church, and it's a challenge depending on how old you are. Here's ageism, right? All right, you're like, you're going to pick on our age? Man, we just came to the church, and you're going to... Here, here's what happens. If you're in the older generation, 
If you consider yourself in the older generation, now that's really hard to determine, right? I mean, some people are like, I mean, everybody thinks I'm older if you're younger than me. Everybody older than me thinks I'm a part of the younger generation, right? I'm in the perfect generation, 45, perfect, perfect. Anyway, and so, so what you have is, 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 is the idea of what generation? Let me just give you, I don't want to offend anybody by saying if you're this old, you're in the older generation. But if, if, if you can look at your life and you can realistically tell that you have less days ahead of you than are behind you, then you're probably part, probably part of the older generation. You with me? And so, so if you understand, that, which I would fall into that category. But the idea there is, is, is that the threat is, is, well, let me get to it for a minute. What I love about having older people in the church, and, and, and there's a demonstration of health in a church when you have not just one age group of people, but when it has a wide range. That's what a healthy church looks like. When you have little babies walking around everywhere and you have senior adults all coming together, unified underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ, that's a beautiful demonstration of health. But if you are older, there is a challenge for you. Here's what the challenge is. The challenge is, is that God has gifted you with knowledge and God has gifted you with wisdom. Now, I'm speaking in generalities here. Just because you get older doesn't mean that you gain knowledge and doesn't mean that you become smarter, right? Would you agree with that? But what the word of God assumes is that if you're walking with Jesus Christ for a long period of time, if you're walking with Christ, if you're, if, if you're in the word of God, if you're learning, if you're doing your due diligence to work out your faith with, with, with a fear and trembling, that when you get older in age, that you're going to know a whole lot of the word of God. And there's going to be a great deal, deal of wisdom that you have to pass down to younger generations, Right? That you can look to older men, you can look to younger men, uh, older women, you can look to younger women, and you can begin to share the truths of God's word. The challenge for you is what we call apathy. If you're getting older, and look, I, I'm not even old, but at 45, I already grunt when I stand up. Some of you know what that is. I don't even know where that came from. Literally, I'm not joking, a couple months ago, I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like, uh, and I, and I grunt and I, I don't know what that is. My wife's like, what, do, what is that? I, I don't know. It wasn't there when I sat down. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, uh, why, why am I grunting? I'm fine. Uh, grunt. And the Bible says that the whole earth is kind of like grunting and groaning for redemption. And when you begin to get older and all of a sudden things begin to hurt and bursitis and gingivitis begin to set in, all of a sudden you are looking there going, man, this is tough. And you begin to not have the same energy. Anybody with you on that? And you're like, man, you don't even know, but I got shoes older than you, dude. And, and I get that. But you get to the point where you're just like, man, I just don't have all that energy anymore. And the danger is this, is not that the older generation, listen to me carefully, doesn't know the word of God if they've been faithful to study it. The danger is, is that there's no energy for them and they become apathetic so that they're not doing what it is that they know that is right to be able to do. And you hear that sometimes with the generation where they begin to say, hey, listen, yeah, I used to be a part of that church and we've been involved and we used to serve and we used to do this and we used to pour into people's lives. But right now we're a little bit older, we're beyond that. Uh, we don't really have the energy for that. I get that, but I wanna let you know that knowledge apart from energy and doing is not an example of what health is all about. Now, for a younger generation, let me pick on you punks just for a minute. I'm just kind of, yeah, for, for the younger generation. What I love about a younger generation is their energy. It's, it's amazing. Some younger people, like, I know it's supposed to, young people are supposed to make you younger. They just kind of wear me out. They make me tired. I just got to be honest with you. There's so much energy. I get tired just watching them. You're like, how in the world are you getting all of this done? But it's the beauty about young people. The beauty about young people is they love to dream. 
And, and what I mean by dream is not some esoteric weird thing, but they love to dream about what God can do with them. They love to sit around and talk about the great things that God has, and they love to plan and where they can go and what they can do and how God can ultimately move. And I love to be around that type of energy. The danger for a younger generation sometimes is because they have all the energy in the world, but they don't have knowledge. It's kind of like ignorance on fire. It's kind of like one of those things. They're like, let's just do something for God. And you're like, oh, okay, okay, what, what, what do you want to do for God? Well, let's go ahead and kill chickens for God. No, 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 you can't go killing chickens for God, you know? And so you're like, you got to kind of be rooted here. You got to be founded. So, so what happens, and you see this, listen, listen, and I want to warn you, if, if you're if, of that older age and ilk, and you're sitting there going, man, yeah, I know these truths, but man, I'm struggling with really getting over and moving. I want to let you know that you have a way to be a great encouragement to a younger generation or to really frustrate a younger generation. When an older generation knows those truths, but all they become is the gatekeeper of truth, but never lift a finger and do anything in the church, ever go on missions, ever preach the gospel, ever do anything or disciple anybody else, and they don't take that time to be able to pour into other people, that is discouraging to a young generation with all that energy because they look at them and they say to themselves, why aren't they doing anything? They're supposed to know all this, but they're not acting. They're not sharing the gospel. People are dying. Let's go, and let's go, go and do it. So oftentimes, this is one of the major reasons why we have church plants, and, and it's not a healthy reason, but a young generation sits there and goes, they're not doing anything. We can do it better. Let's go. And so they go out, and they've got all this energy, all right? And they go out, and they go, let's just do something. What are we doing? I don't know. Let's just do something. And what they don't know, and we're finding this out more and more and more, they begin and they go and they'll plant a church. Not always, not always, okay? But sometimes they'll plant a church in ignorance and they'll begin to do things, which all comes from a desire to see people uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ. But because they're not grounded in the foundations of the word, instead of helping, they end up hindering the gospel and causing great pain in the life of many people by sometimes even propagating a false gospel. And they don't even mean to. So there's kind of the struggle. You know, a lot of people, another mistake that we often make is that people often think, just like numbers, they often think that energy is a sign of health for a church. You know, the big thing, guys, uh, the churches just kind of, they follow one another. Uh, I just got to let you know this. I can't keep up with all that. I can't keep up with the cool stuff. I hope you guys, you're like, yeah, we can tell. Uh, I, I get that. But the big thing now, and it's okay that people do it. I am not dogging it at all. Every time I turn around, I'm like, why does everybody have a TV next to them now? Every preacher's got a TV right next to him, and now what they do is they point to the television to kind of show their points and everything, and they, they, they have a different, uh, up here, it's not a pulpit, it's not nothing that goes like this, this is not cool, it's a round table where they just kind of lean up against the round table and drink their coffee, and look, I'm not against that at all, I promise, I'm not even, mo- I'm not mocking it, but I sat there and go, I can't keep up with that, I just can't keep up with every time, now we need a television, now we need a, a round, I, 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 I cannot keep up with that. And, and people are like, man, it's all about energy. You have to have energy in your church. And so people are fired up, dude. I mean, you walk by and these people are jumping out in the street going, man, you got to go to our church. Whoa, come on in. They're spinning signs. Hey, you get in here. You walk through the front and you know they're doing the wave when you walk in. You walk through. The ushers are like, hey, this is where you need to sit. And they got, then the music comes and they're just pumped up. And the guy gets up there and he's got huge, lot, yelling, spreading, lungs of energy. People are all, I mean, dude, it's energized, right? It's energized. Now, I'm not dogging energy. It's much better than the alternative, right? Where you were, and I'm, no, I'm not going to go into detail, Ashley. And, and you know, but it's, it's where, where you just walk in and people are just like, hey, man, somebody walked through the door. I'm too tired. You go get them. Okay, no, it's okay. It's a pleasure to be. I mean, I'm not, I'm not hoping for that either. 
But health doesn't necessarily mean a place is healthy. I mean, they're all healthy. Hey, why are you so excited? Why are you so excited? I don't know. I don't know why I'm excited. I mean, I'm just excited about being excited, right? I want to be and have a great deal of energy, but I want to be able to have energy that, that stems out of truth, that comes because of what we know and some, not something that we're trying to gear ourselves up for. The truth is what gives us that energy through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, again, um, energy is not necessarily health. I have a good buddy, uh, Ben Tugwell, who's preached here on several occasions, and, and he, this is his quote, so be angry with him. He just told his young people, he's got a really young church, they're college-age students. He goes, look, guys, he goes, your diet can consist of a six-pack of Red Bull and a box of Power Bars a day, and you could eat them every single day, but it does, he goes, it doesn't make you healthy. He goes, it makes you annoying, right? And so he says that. And so the same idea, just as knowledge, knowledge apart from energy to act on what it is that you know is not healthy, so energy, apart from the rails and the truths of knowing how to honor God and how to serve God and what to do and what he would have us to do, that's not healthy either. Both of them lead to the same place. They lead to, to ultimately unhealthy uh, churches. And that's not what we want to be. We want to be a healthy church. We want to be able to grow. We want people to grow deep in Christ. But the way that you do that is both through the truth of God's word and the power of God's spirit. The truth of God's word and the power of God's spirit. So the whole point of, 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 of him, of Paul writing this, is to let us know, hey guys, you want to be a healthy church? You've got to be about the truth of God's word. You got to be in it. You got to protect it. You got to study it. You got to submit to it. You got to live it out. Everything is about that word. You cannot be healthy apart from it. And the truth, because truth is important to God, it ought to be important to us as well. John Stott says this. It says, Jesus came saying that he was the truth, that he, he had come to witness to the truth, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, that the truth will set us free. He goes, if, it was, if Jesus was that much about truth, then we too in our churches ought to be about God's truth. Amen? Now let me give you one more passage, and, and we'll kind of head toward the end. 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 15, mark this. Open it up in your Bibles. Mark this, because this is really one of the key verses that let us know what 1 Timothy is all about. He says there, he says, I, Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon. In other words, Paul knew that he was going to be delayed. He wasn't going to be able to come to the church and to be able to help them out. Remember what their problem is. They're growing like crazy, but they have to make sure that they remain healthy, Okay. So he is writing them, and here's what he says. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things uh, to, to you so that if I delay, which he does, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. So moms and dads, you were just so prophetic and so biblical when your kids run around and go, now behave inside the church, right? Did you know there was a way to behave inside of the church, a way that honors God and doesn't honor God? People are like, yeah, when they wear those flip-flops, that's dishonoring to God. No, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is honoring God is doing things God's way, the way that he lays it out. And so in this book, what he's saying is he goes, I'm going to lay this out. I'm going to lay out truth to you. And if you want to be healthy, you know this truth, preach this truth, you demonstrate this truth, you live by this truth, and you pass on this truth. That's the key to you being strong, for you ultimately being healthy. And I love the last part. He says, which is the church of the living God, a pillar in the buttress of the truth. If the church, listen, if the church doesn't submit itself to the truth of God's word, then who will? No one. And he says, this is the key to that health. 
I love that phrase. You may you may know how you may so that you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. There's a way to behave as a child of God. There's a way that we are to to function within the church of God. The church of God is not a place to to to, to freestyle. Or just to sit there and go, hey man, just do whatever it is that we want to do. Hey, we'll run this thing whatever way we ultimately want to. It's not a place for that. That how we do and what we do and how we function as a church has been determined by God. It's for you and I to not only know it, but to us to be able to act on it. Calvin writes this. He says, We therefore teach that faithful ministers are now not, not permitted to coin any new doctrine, but that they are simply to cleave to that doctrine to which God has subjected men without exception. He writes that in his institutes. Functioning as a church is serious business for Paul, and it ought to be serious for us. And so what he does is in this book, now note this. The idea, you're growing like crazy, you have to remain healthy, Here's what Paul says. I'm going to tell you how to remain healthy, what you have to do and what you have to do to function within a church that will keep the health within the church. You th- you'd sit there. Now, you would think with that that every pastor in the nation would sit there and go, man, I'm doing a, I'm doing a series on First Timothy. I want to have a healthy church. I want to do this. But we don't have that. In fact, so many of the guys that I like to follow in preaching uh, on their websites, I, I can't even follow their series on 1 Timothy. They're kind of picking and choosing. But I realize why it is. Here's why. No preacher wants to preach on 1 Timothy, and nobody wants to hear it. And the reason that nobody wants to hear it is because it's really tough stuff. It's the kind of stuff that you read, and it's the kind of stuff that are like, hey, let's not talk about that. That's not really, really important. Uh, that's, that's divisive. If we preach about that, then there's going to be some people who are upset inside of the church. But do you see what we're saying? He says, here's a book for you. If you want to be healthy and continue to grow in in your spiritual growth, then do what's in this book. And the churches are kind of sitting back going, I don't know if I want to get into that book because it's a little divisive. It will separate you. Here's a way to grow a church. Here it is. You, You ready? Here's my plan. I'm not using this plan, but here's the plan. If I really was concerned about just planning, building a church, preach nothing and stand for nothing. Be as just as surface level as I possibly can because here's why. The moment you begin to get into a book like this and begin to draw lines where you're calling your people to all of us to submit together before God in the submission of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that's all of a sudden people begin to bail. See, here's the beautiful thing about this book. As long as I preach books like this, we'll never have to build again. Never have to build again. And the reason for that is because people are just, there's going to be something that is offensive. Let me give you six things that he writes about. Just listen to this. These are six major things that he, that he writes about in this book. Number one, how to preserve sound doctrine in the church. Now, I say that, and some people are already, you know, no, man, I want doctrine. I just want to know, man, how to live. How do you live? You can't live apart from knowing the doctrine. And one of the things he's going to say there is the way for you to be able to secure sound doctrine in the church, listen to this. You're going to love this is to approach to throw out and have those who are preaching the wrong thing to be quiet. (laughs) Thank you, Michelle. You in the first congregation got that, right? Who wants to do this, right? I mean, even with our staff, I'll tell you, a a bunch of chickens, man. I mean, you sit around and we get there and I go, dude, I don't want to be the bearer of the bad news all the time. This guy's, you know, preaching kind of crazy stuff. It's like, you know, worshiping, like chicken worship. Somebody's got to go talk to this guy. And all the other guys are like, man, look, I got to, I got to work on this microphone. You know, and they're, they're out of there. Nobody wants to go ahead and approach that kind of issue. In fact, even in the people church are just kind of like, just let it go. It's no big deal. It's just a little bit of a false doctrine, false teaching. No big deal. If you say something, they're ultimately going away. Who wants to deal with this? The Bible says, you want to be healthy, you got to deal with this. 
Here's the second one. The roles of men and women in public worship. Look, even in the world, you know if you're caught saying that a woman is not allowed to do something, bro, you say that, you are going to get killed in the, in the, right? in the world in which we live. Unfortunately, we're killed even when the word of God lays this out so clearly within the text of Scripture. The third one, conditions of eligibility of pastors, deacons within the church, even specifically how they ultimately function. There are people that get so angry at just following the word of God and saying, hey, listen, here's what the elders should look like. Here's what deacons should look like. Here are they're supposed to function. And people just lose their minds. And here's why. Because when, when you tell somebody that they're not qualified to be an elder or a deacon, Katie, bar the door, they're out of there. And what that is, is that's not being willing to submit to the word of God. So even bringing this up, you have the chance of people being frustrated, being angry and leaving the church. You see why I said we never have to build? Because people will get angry. Here, here's another one. Instruction to young pastors on how to teach in, in a way that people will listen to them and not despise them. That's probably, I, I could have used that. You know what I mean? How, how, do you, how, how do you do it and not despise it? Now, I got to tell you something. I made a huge mistake. In, in, in that second one, the roles of men and women in public church, I thought it was a bright idea to preach this book in the first church that I went to. And within the first week, I already knew that I was going to get fired. I got fired because I preached a message on the roles of men and women in the Bible. That's why I got fired. And look, I was an idiot for preaching on it, all right? I mean, I was dumb for the first thing. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to clean you all out. You know, the first time that we get in here, it just wasn't very wise. 12 years later, figure you guys are gracious people, right? And so just go ahead. I mean, you've allowed me to stick around this long. We'll go ahead and we'll kind of go through it. But I could have used that part for some reason that didn't work for me is to help to preach the word and get people not to despise you. That didn't go well for me. Here's another one. Social responsibilities within the church, including the compensation and care of pastors. No pastor wants to preach this. I mean, he might want to, but he doesn't dare say it. To get up and go, yes, a laborer's worth is higher and those that labor in the word are, double, are worth double higher. So pay up. A bunch of suckers. Yeah, no, I mean, nobody wants that. You don't even, the, the congregation doesn't even want to hear it. And then finally, the church's attitude towards material possessions, now they covet the, the sin of covetousness. I mean, man, that will oh, give you a whole week of stuff to be able to repent about and then some, right? But these are very, very difficult things that we're about to go through. Look, if you like wrestling and you like, you like chaos, come to this series. You're going to love it. I mean, you're going to get, fo- you can, you're going to feel the tension. As we begin to unpack this, you're going to see that. You're going to literally see the church shrink right in front of your eyes. It's, it's just an amazing thing. But here's, here's what I would ultimately say. Why would it be that way? For people who have been changed and transformed in the image and likeness of God, I had a sweet elderly woman who's been here before, one of the founding members of the church. She just came and she said, Mike, I know the truth hurts so often. Every time I hear the truth in places that I haven't submitted to God, it hurts. But it tells me all the more how much more I need it. I want to know what God says. I want to submit my whole life to him in every way. I think that that is a wonderful example. Whether I believe it or not, or whether I've held to it or not, I don't care. Just tell us what the word of God says. I pray that that's the heart. You know what? That's the heart of a healthy church. That's the heart of healthy believers. 
and for us to be able to walk through and do it uh, once again. Let me give you this last phrase. He, he closes, I'm going to close the way that he begins. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's wanting these things for Timothy. He's wanting these things for that original audience of Ephesus, and he's wanting it for you. And I guarantee that almost everybody in here wants those three things. There's not a person that doesn't want grace, doesn't want mercy, doesn't want the peace from God. But did you know there's a way to receive those things? See, when we talk about grace, what are we talking about? Getting something that we don't deserve. Anybody about like that? Hey, God, sorry I blew it uh, this week, but hey, man, give me the stuff I don't deserve. Anybody want to sign up for that? That's good. What, what about peace? To have the peace from God, to know, hey, look, everything's okay. I don't have to worry about this. God's got this. It's a wonderful thing. And then what about mercy? I love that word mercy. It's so good they ought to name a church after it. And uh, mercy, and, and the idea of mercy, what is that? Is before grace and peace can ever come, mercy has to be realized. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. The first act of you being born again is God extending mercy to you because we deserve hell and we deserve the punishment for our sin. And God comes and, before, and he does save us by grace through faith. But the first act of him in his grace is his mercy by not giving us what it is that we ultimately deserve. But here's what I want to say. There's not one of us that doesn't want it. But are you willing to do what you need to do to receive it? You say, well, wait a minute, Mike. I, I didn't think you had to earn grace. I'm not talking about earning. I'm talking about receiving. And in order to receive his grace, his mercy, and his peace, you have to be in the position of submitting yourself to the lordship of Jesus. You have to be in the position that you sit there and say, God, not my way, but your way. God, no longer am I going to try to save myself by good works. I know that I can't. You say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I submit to myself and put my whole way to my faith in you and what you say. God, I don't have peace right now, but the reason I don't have peace is because I'm trying to be in control of everything else. What I need to do is I need to let go and trust you fully and completely that you are a good and wonderful God. And God, I need your mercy, beginning and even initial salvation. Say, God, I, I, I know that I'm deserving of death, but God, here I come humbly coming to you. Give me what it is that I know that I don't deserve, and don't give me what it is that I know deserve. See, that's the thing. People all around will say, I want to be a healthy believer in Jesus Christ. There will be people around that say, I want to be a part of a healthy church. You cannot be a part of the healthy church and taste his grace and his mercy and experience his everlasting peace apart from us submitting ourselves fully to the lordship of God, no matter how difficult it might be. So there's two things that I want to call you to this morning. And that is for some of you, you know very well the word of God. Many of you, many, many, and what I'm going to call you to do is I'm going to call you to reject apathy. Some of you know so much of the Word of God. You've taught so much about Word of God, but you know in your heart of hearts that you've become, you've become apathetic towards doing and acting on those truths. Listen, if you're older, I, 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 I don't get it completely, but I understand it as, as I'm beginning to age and there's injuries in my body and all those types of things I understand. It's just hard to keep moving, but what I'm asking you to do is to throw that off and say, as long as there is breath in my body, what I knew to be true, I will live out. God, give me the energy, give me the mercy that I need to fulfill and to do what it is that you've called me to do. And for some of you that sit back and admit, I've got all the energy in the world, will you commit yourself to truth? Will you commit yourself to sit there and go, I will be. Look, you're going to get to a point in your life, somebody said this just two weeks ago to me, and said, man, I'm 51 years old and I've gone all this life and I still don't feel like I really know the word of God. What have I been doing? Don't be that individual. Right now, sit there and take the energy in which God has given you to be able to study and to be able to work and to be able to live out and to do what God has called you to ultimately do. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you. We thank you.